Welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit here with my friend Greg Cosell. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, uh, we're going to talk some defense today, but our producer Ben Allen just encouraged us to do an unsung hero, and you groaned and grumbled about it, but you said you had a guy. It's no way to start a podcast, but I feel like I should just ask you, who's your guy, so you don't forget. <laughs> you want me to start with that? Yeah, just tell who's the guy before you forget. Who's your unsung hero for the year so we can satisfy Ben? We'll go from there. You know, obviously there are certain teams, as I'm sure you do, that you watch every single week. We can't get to every team every single week. You know, you and I are just one person and, you know, you just it's just hard, especially the way you and I watch tape. You know, it might take us two and a half hours just to get through one side of a ball. So one team I've seen a lot of, because obviously they're one of the better teams in the league and they're certain playing that way now are the Cincinnati Bengals. And again, I'm not charting like a coach. So I don't know if one of their coaches was listening, if he'd say I was wrong, but there's one guy that I think is improving. And I think he has traits to become really, really good. And that's the safety Dax Hill. I remember watching him coming out of Michigan. Okay. And at Michigan, he played safety in their base defense and slot corner in their sub defenses. And in fact, I thought he had the traits and even some coaches that I talked to thought the same with his traits that he could have been an outside corner in the NFL because he ran under four, four and he's six feet and about 195, which as you know, is really good size for a corner in, in the NFL. So yeah. he's a guy that, you know, they, they're a little interchangeable with their safeties, as you know, with Nick Scott, uh, a former Ram, you're very familiar with him with Nick Scott and, and Dax Hill. So he plays both on the back end, he plays in the box, and he's their tight end matchup when they play man-to-man uh, versus 11 personnel. So I just think Dax Hill is one of those players that we're going to be talking about more and more and could end up being one of the better safeties in the league over the next couple of years. Yeah, he he for sure looks the part. I mean, he's, he's a, yeah. one of those first-off-the-bus guys. I would love to ask Lou Anarumo – because I, I watched that, that Bengals-Bills film this morning and last you night. He's and, not listening? He's not going to jump in while we're talking? Yeah, no, I wish he, I nah. wish he would. I wish he were here. <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm surprised how often Hill plays the post, to be honest with you, Greg. Yes, not, yes. That's what I'd love to ask Anna Rumo about is what's the thought? And maybe it's more about the other guys they have. I know Jordan Battle's been rotating in a little more as well, Nick Scott. And he's not a post safety. Jordan Battle? Yeah, Jordan Battle. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I watched him for three years at Alabama because I kept thinking he would come out. So I ended up seeing three yeah. years of his tape. And I think he's a very good, savvy player. Um, but I don't think he's a post-safety. Yeah, and that's the part where you have to remember is sometimes where a guy plays, it could be a function of where another guy plays. There's always two guys in an equation when a guy's Great position point. is at hand. So that's one thing I would love to ask Lou Anarumo or anyone on that Bengals staff is just what, what dictates who you play and where you play. And even with some of their, their corners, I think they use Cam Taylor Britt, who I think is a true number one corner anymore. They use him that way a little bit, but he's usually their boundary corner, DJ Turner. They move those guys. Um, that would have been the guy I would have said, by the way, for, if we're going just Bengals defense, which is kind of Taylor Britt wound up. Is is Cam Taylor Britt? As, yeah, and, maybe, and by the way, I agree with that. Too sung. Maybe he's not unsung though. But I think yeah. But I think he's played well enough now that people know who he is. In other words, he's not a surprise. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I was thinking him as well. But you know, no one's really talking about Dax Hill, and I think he's going to be a really good player. You and I. So on we're on the Bengals again. You and I after the show a few weeks ago had a good discussion about 
defensive ends and Trey Hendrickson's name came up. And I think you were asking me, you know, who would I put Hendrickson or Aiden Hutchinson? And my first response was Hutchinson. And I could tell you didn't, I don't think you agreed with me based on the look on your face. Where where do you think Hendrickson ranks in the league? Where would you say in your opinion? Well, I think, first of all, I will say this. I think they're totally different players. And the way that, that Aaron Glenn is now using Hutchinson is, is he's expanded where he lines up, how he deploys them, because they have other players, as you just, in speaking about that, the Bengals and Dax Hill, they have other players now who can do different things. So Hutchinson, because he does have versatility and positional flexibility, he is now being used in multiple ways. So he and Hendrickson, in a sense, are different players. Hendrickson is a right defensive end, and that's where he pretty much lines up on, I don't want to say 100% of the snaps. I'm not charting every play, but he's a right defensive end. I think he's a very good pass rusher. Um, that's his game. Um, and I think that he's a, you know, that he is their best pass rusher on a defense that I think is, I don't want to say it's overlooked. It's certainly not overlooked by offenses that have to prepare to play Lou Anaramo on that defense. But I think the, the general public sees that team as Joe Burrow and the offense and the defense falls you know, into a secondary nature with that team. But I think Anaramo and that defense, I think he does a phenomenal job. And I think Hendrickson is a key to it because he gives you that edge pass rush. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's just like a natural leverage player. Yep. He, he plays, he's always low. Whatever he's yep. doing, he's always low and not just low for the sake of being low. He just plays with that leverage. Yeah. He's also one of those guys, Greg, I thought, you know, we've seen, I remember when he was with the Saints, his rookie deal expires. He, I think he had six and a half sacks his first three seasons, 13 and a half in that contract year. Kind of fits the profile of guys we've seen before that, you know, I don't know if those are the guys you want to sign a free agency necessarily. The, the non-producers for three years, big year, year four, and then the team says, we're fine letting you go anyway. Right. But he's been better as a Bengal than he was as a Saint. He was trajecting yes. upwards as a Saint. He's one of those, I want to say rare, because every year there's a few, but he's one of those guys that got better as he aged and got onto his second contract, too. And I think you nailed what he is, because, you know, I remember watching him coming out of college and thinking to myself, because he's not he's not necessarily bendy, he's not necessarily explosive the way you think of explosive, but you nailed it with leverage. He just plays really low and therefore gets underneath tackles and does have that ability, even though he's not a true flexible bender, the way we think of that, he does have the ability to flatten his rush path to the quarterback when he clears the arc. And and that is that trade is not talked about very much. There's a lot of edge rushers who have certain traits. Maybe they're powerful. Maybe they have good speed to power. Maybe they have quick get off, but they can't flatten their rush path when they get to the top of the arc. And then those guys end up not being truly great pass rushers because you need to be able to do that. Yeah. Hendrickson finishes plays. He, he, yes. You rarely see him just run 10 yards deep into the pocket past yep. the QB. He's not one of those, like, is it a pressure? Was it not a pressure guy? Like, you know where he's coming in on the play. Like, his plays are definitive for sure. I yeah. would agree 100%. You, you know something else that stood out to me? They're totally flipping sides of the ball, but you mentioned the Bengals' offense. The more I watch Joe Burrow, and he's coming along now. I mean, he's looking like oh. he's like the superstar that he's been the last yep. few years. I think he's a much better – he's not an off-schedule player by any means, but when the play demands that, I think he is so much better at doing that than people guess. And the reason I – it's funny you say that. 
I think there's different kinds of movement, okay? You think of Patrick Mahomes. You think of Josh Allen. They're, they move a good amount. And when I say good amount, I don't mean percentage-wise. But when they move, they move a meaningful amount from the midline out of the pocket. Burrow always strikes me, not that Allen and, and Mahomes, particularly Mahomes, not that their movements aren't calculated, but I think Burrow is at the top level of the world calculated. When he moves, it's it, it's never random. It it almost looks as if it's, I don't want to say designed, because you know no one drops back with the idea that, hey, I'm just going to move, and, and certainly not Joe yeah. Burrow. Um, well, but you, but you, you know think, what, Greg? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, no, no go I, ahead. what you're saying is perfect. I, I was going to mention that there was a play against San Francisco. I think it was a San Francisco game a couple weeks ago where it was he, Burrow figured out pre-snap. It was two man coverage. And right. you could tell at the top of you could tell. He did exactly what right you did. The middle? Yes. And, and it was exactly yes. what you just outlined where you could tell he did. He did this. He knew he was going to scramble on that because two man's going right. to get vacated. He probably knew his routes and that there's no one in the middle of the field in our design, so there's no one. In and the he middle saw the, of the defensive field. line. I can't remember the play, but I'm sure he saw. It was probably more of a of a jet D, D line look where you had two three techniques or two four. Yes, it eyes. was. Yeah, split yeah. front. So yeah, and, right. and, and yeah. you know maybe they even had some stunts going outside on. But the point, right, right, right. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, your your point though, he is such an intentional mover, and I think so Correct. much of it comes from how well he reads the defense before the snap, after the snap. You know, I just think he's a better. He's an on schedule, off schedule player, is what he is. That's a great way to. You know, I was trying to think while you were talking about the best way to describe it because. You know, he just seems like he moves with such a purpose. You know, yeah. and again, we're not saying that Mahomes doesn't or not other quarterbacks don't, but it just seems so controlled. And I love what you just said. He's an off-schedule, on-schedule mover. That's a really good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, so we did right before this, we were on the, the 33rd team Zoom call, which we enjoy doing every week. A lot of coaches yep. are in the NFL, some Big time players. I love listening to Pagano. I love listening to Pagano. Yeah, Pagano can go for sure. So we're fortunate we have Dean Blandino does some of those calls around the league, uh, takes us through the penalties and we talk it out. You know what I really like on those is we hear, and and Wade Phillips is probably the most acerbic of them, if we're being just to to the point. Those coaches do not take it easy on Blandino. He's not even the guy anymore. You can tell how hard they are on him and the referees. But um, Blandino's mentioned that scoring's down across the yeah. league. That's kind of been a running theme in some of those meetings we've been having. We've seen other stats where basically we could go through it, but bottom line is defense is better, offense is a little worse this year, and that that give and take, that that back and forth. Why do you think that is, Greg? We talked Ravens in great depth a few weeks ago. We know what some of these good defenses are doing, but um, thirty thousand feet. Why? Why? Why is defense getting better a, right this now? This is a great discussion because I don't know if there's a right or wrong. There's there's thoughts, and I have some, and you may have others. Um, I think you're seeing, and the numbers reflect this, by the way. So what I'm saying is not just an interpretation, you know, because we all do research in addition to the film. Um, you're seeing a lot more split safety coverage. You're seeing a lot more disguise and late rotation, which means that it's tougher for quarterbacks before the snap to know exactly what's coming. Um, 
you know, when you play split safety, one of the reasons, and I remember having this conversation years ago with Rod Rust, who used to come into my office every Monday after he retired. He's unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, but for about four or five years, and he was a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's considered the pioneer of quarters coverage. Um, um, uh, so he actually coached Mean Joe Green at North Texas in the late 60s. <clears throat> so anyway, I, I remember, you know, he said that when you play quarters coverage, one of the reasons you do that is you want to take away the seams. And he said that, you know, when you take away the seams, you really limit explosive plays by the offense. Another factor, I think that even though athletes at all positions are better, I think that there's a significant discrepancy between the players that rush the quarterback and offensive linemen in terms of athletic traits. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing more sacks, more pressure on quarterbacks. And, you know, I think that that's just making it harder for quarterbacks to be feel comfortable, to be efficient, to work the ball down the field. I mean, the Buffalo Bills are such a good example of this. You know, so many people are talking about the Bills. You know, obviously Josh Allen's become an easy target now. In a sense, their offense is in some ways no different than it's been. They're not a highly talented team, contrary to what a lot of people believe, particularly on offense, but they're not making any explosive plays. You know, in the past, they, they, they didn't have a run game in the past. They still don't. Their offensive line was average to below average. It still is. Um, they don't really have a, a second wide receiver. They still don't. They're working in Dalton Kincaid. We'll see what he can become. But they're the same as they've always been. It's just that they would get big plays in the passing game. They're not getting yeah. those big plays. So now their offense is very, very condensed. And as you know, it's hard to score points when your offense is so condensed and it takes so many more plays to score. Yeah, and the other thing I think with some of those, you know, Rod Russ pioneering quarters and, and the split safety looks like you're talking about and the numbers bear that out. They're, the split safety looks pre-snap are up 50% from a few years oh. ago, just over the last so few you years. Agree, I mean, basically you agree with the general stuff I said. Yeah, and I think the part of what goes in with these split safeties as well. So, you know, Rust was a pioneer. Vic Fangio and some of the stuff he's done yeah. with split safety. Basically, the rules of that scheme are we want our single high coverage to play out like two high, and we want our two high to play out like single high. And so another, you know, Great and there's point. a lot that goes into that. But the, the point is it used to be if it's single high or two high, the offense, oh, it's one or the other. We've got this beats it if it's that. We got this if it's the other one. It was very cut and dried defenses have gotten so good at blurring and overlapping the split safety and single high coverage rules anymore. It, it, it's just not as, it's not as easy and available to play offense against it. The pre-snap phase doesn't tell you what it used to tell you. Like you said, some of those late movements, post-snap, those disguises, and even, even the disguises where they're not moving now, just the, the right. blurry looks defensive. Like one thing, I, I don't know how, tell me how you feel like I watched Arizona this morning. One thing that they do defensively, that is, and I know they don't have a lot of talent and it's not going well, but you know, Jonathan Gannon has been kind of at the forefront of some of the newer changes in the Vic Fangio system. And one thing that he and Nick Rollis, their D coordinator do is they carry the slot out of their quarters. A lot of the time yeah, yeah. to me, that's a huge difference between just regular four deep three under 
like I feel like I don't know what I'm looking at some of the time when they carry the slot because the quarters it plays out like it's five deep or, or the, the, the slot winds up playing deeper than the safety on that side. And is that anything? How do we interpret that? Just little things like some of the rules. I know those Fangio teams in cover eight, which is quarters to the to the short side of the field, cover two and to, the, to the wide side. side yep. And those cover eights, they'll carry the slot on that cover two side, on that wide side of the field. And they'll carry it and pass it off in certain ways. Like some of the rules for carrying the slot, I feel like, has also really made defenses better. And um, I think to that point, what you're seeing, which relates just to what you said, is you're also seeing mixed coverages within a play. In other words, you, you know, like you said, if you carry, does that then make it look like man? You know, so one side can look like man, one side can look like zone. And what very often happens, which is one reason I think explosive plays are down as well, is when a quarterback, and don't forget, a quarterback has about a second, second and a half to see all this. You know, yeah. you and I sit with a clicker, and boy, we can watch a play 20 times. You know, quarterback yeah, we, get sec- to, we get to look at it from overhead, too, which is a better and, view. And, we're still not, and, and, and think about this. We're still not sure sometimes. So imagine a quarterback taking the snap and – He's got a second, second and a half to see all this movement. Now, he's not looking at nine players. No, you know, no quarterback does that with a read. But the point is, something moves that doesn't look exactly right. And what, what often happens then in response to that? You throw a check down because you, you, you just get rid of the football. So the check down obviously prevents explosive plays. You're just getting rid of the ball. So yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons now why that and, and I loved what you said about blurring the lines. Sometimes when I watch tape, and I had actually was fortunate to have a discussion with Dennis Allen a few years ago about the blurred line between a two-man and and um, cover one robber, which you know sometimes that is really blurred, and and you know it's hard for quarterbacks. Yeah, and I know a conversation I had, and I don't think I should say the name because he I, he might use it as a I'll, I'll tell you later, but he might use it as a competitive advantage, but. This defensive coach was explaining, we were watching film. I'm looking at the overhead, all 22. I said, the middle's wide open right there. There's like 12 yards between the linebacker right. and the safety. And he said, yeah, but we're, we're fine with that because to a quarterback, he can't, the depth perception of it, he can't tell. He can't tell the difference between 12 and 10 yards when it's behind defenders way downfield like that. So just little things like that. We have to remember that what looks open and easy on film a lot of the time is not. I learned that. I was scouting defense, and I would note this safety is 11 yards deep. This one's 12 yards deep. Oh, good. Well, when the one guy who's 12 yards, when they're deeper, they do this. Here's the tendency. And a quarterback coach told me, well, you know, our, our guy can't see 11 versus 12 yards. You know, we, we right. can't tell the quarterback and, anything. The, the view of the point. is different than, than, than for us watching it is the point. And I think another point is I think that defenses are now doing a better job responding to some staple route concepts. Like, for instance, let's say a flood concept, okay? A flood concept is a three-level concept with a vertical and intermediate and a, and a short route to the same side of the field. So, you know, if you're playing, let's say, straight cover three, it's very hard to defend. There's a void. But I think teams have a much better field defenses, that is, now of how you defend and how you have to defend certain route concepts that are staples of a lot of teams in the league. You know, ways that no one really did, let's say, 5, 10, 15 years ago, but now you have to because there's such staples in the league. So it's just, it's it's cyclical. You know, you're seeing that now, maybe in five years, 
we're still doing this, we'll be talking about offenses scoring a ton of points because they've responded to it. You know, one other thing you mentioned, like the pass rushers, pass blockers, Scott Turner. Do you know Scott Turner at all? I've spoken with him. I I, I know him real well, but I've spoken with him. Yeah, he's a Raiders QB coach this year. I think he's always done a nice job. He's always been a really good designer of offense, in my opinion. And I've gotten to know him a little bit. But I remember when I first got to, to meet him, he said very simply, he said, in the NFL, the pass rushers are better than the pass blockers and the wide receivers are better than the corners. And that's kind of the game. And you got to play with that. And and how do you minimize that if you're on the wrong end of it, maximize it on the right, right. end. But I always, you know, I love it when coaches have just simple ways of saying, if anyone else said it, it wouldn't mean anything. But when a guy who has to design offense says it, pass rushers are better than the pass blockers, wide receivers are better than the corners. That's kind of the NFL and, you know, for you. And even though, you know, offensive linemen are probably better athletes than they were 20 years ago, I still think that that is a, a meaningful mismatch, that the pass rushers are just better than the pass. I mean, I think he's 100% right about that, and I'm saying that based on tape study. Obviously, I'm not the one coaching like he is and on the field with these guys, but I think the tape tells you that pass rushers are better than, than pass protectors. And keep another thing in mind, um, with the way that, that practice time is cut short, you know, offensive line is so much about cohesion, and particularly when it comes to pressure. You know, obviously, if it's just four, you know, D linemen rushing, you know, day it's five offensive linemen. You got four pass rushers. But when you start getting into all these multiple front looks that teams give you now, whether it's double mug, whether it's loaded fronts with with linebackers mugged up opposite the loaded the load side, you know, they give you all these kinds of looks now and you have to be able to protect against that. And you can't change your protection in the middle of the play. So (laughs) there has to be cohesion you know, with how you work together. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of time and usually veteran O-lines. And that's hard to do. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. It's a great point. So the conversation with Blandino, by the way, did you hear my question to him about the intentional grounding? Yeah, yeah. Why, why not just call it grounding? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What would yeah. you think of that? Like, what do you what do you think of the, the grounding? Idea? I mean, in a sense, in a sense, that's, True. What I mean, it is. Are there times where a quarterback intentionally, because maybe he doesn't want to take a bad shot, might do that? But for the most part, you know. Um, yeah, but that's no if, different. If if a defensive yeah. back is beat, he he intentionally pass interferes with the receiver. Right, 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 we right. right. Intentional, but we don't. Yeah. There's no other penalty that we care if it's intentional or unintentional. I got other. And, I got, and you know, I did understand. You know, I guess I do understand in response to that Josh Allen play. And we've seen that a number of times where there's a miscommunication between a quarterback and a receiver. And I know that, that the officials are, are, are not technically trying to get into someone's head, but sometimes it's so blatantly obvious. And I just, you know, as, as a purist, and I think you probably feel the same way to some extent anyway, that, you know, come on. I mean, there's a miscommunication. He's not throwing that ball away. And by the way, there wasn't pressure on him on that play. You didn't think so? There was. I'd heard about the play before seeing it. There was more pressure. He didn't than throw I, that ball because of pressure. No, he I know. I, don't, I, yeah, do, yeah. I do not disagree with that. I will say there was more pressure than I expected based on what I had heard about the debate yeah. going into the, going into watching. But you know, the then ball. you get into ascribing motivation to a to a person slash player, and they don't want officials to be in the business of ascribing motivation. And I can complete. I 100 percent understand that. That's the so slippery of, of slopes. And my response yeah. to the offense is Buffalo. I'm sorry, I went against you. Next time, communicate correctly. A lot of right. No, no, I, yeah, I, bad things right. a lot of the time. 
Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I got agree. one other one I want to ask Blaine yeah. Dino about. Tell me what you think of this one. So I think instead of this whole who's like Dallas had an issue with an eligible guy declaring down at the goal line, the Philadelphia right. game. Instead, I hate this whole eligible and eligible thing. I think right. they ought to make the center and the two guys to his immediate right and left, both sides of him. Those guys are automatically ineligible. Everyone else is eligible and go play and quit doing this wiping the chest and getting the jersey. No, I hate that. And I hate it because it puts the onus on the defense. The defense basically becomes responsible for overhearing the PA system at that point. They've got to get right. the announcement. And they're already, we just talked about how hard communication can be out there for Buffalo right. on that one play. There's no other play in the sport where as a defensive guy or anybody, you have to listen to anyone other than the men you're playing with. You're not listening to the PA system and the referee over the PA at any other point, unless the offense wants to describe or, you know, claim right, the guy is right. eligible. I hate it. I hate the eligibility thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot about that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, that's obviously more of a pet peeve for you than it is for me. It's absolutely a, the play that did it. And I had a great conversation with Joe Barry about this, who was the Rams linebackers coach at the time years ago, now green Bay's D coordinator, there was a play, and other teams have copied it, but Taylor Decker for the, the Lions, left tackle, 68, number 68, declares himself yep. eligible. Then they did an unbalanced line. So Decker lines up at his, his usual left tackle position after saying, I'm eligible, now I'm going to line up where I always do. Mark Barron didn't get the memo because he's not expecting a memo like that, and they, they gave up an easy, I forget if it was a touchdown or a two-point conversion, but Mark Barron, the Rams linebacker, lost his freaking mind about it. Angriest I've ever seen him, and I completely understand why. I think that's a Bush League horse crap play to declare yourself eligible, line up at left tackle, and catch a pass. I don't get I don't get off with the old jumbo Elliott. Look at the big man catch the pass. Right, 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 right. I hate him. Right. So I'm gonna anyway. I'm waiting for the opening, and as you can tell, I don't really have a question for Blandino. I just want to say these things to him and make him have to respond to it. And I'm sure he'll have an answer, you know, just like he had an answer for the the grounding today. I mean, that there's going to be an answer. Yeah. So, all right. One other thing then, Greg, I, I was look every once in a while, I kind of just go check up on the stats around the league to kind of remind. When I was a sure. kid, I'd read the newspaper and always look at who's leading the league in every category. You forget to do that now. But I did that the other day. Have you seen the rushing leaders around the NFL? Have you like, the, um, who's leading the league in rushing? I... I'm not sure who's leading the league in rushing, but it's, it, I'll tell you what, it strikes me and I'm going to pull it up while we're talking. It yeah. strikes me that there's not been, that there's not a lot of rushing yards this year in terms of the leaders. So the leading rusher in the NFL, let's see, is McCaffrey still, then Zach Moss. Oh, there you go. McCaffrey at 652 through eight games. So he's on pace for hmm, 13, 1400 yards yeah. as the leader. Yeah. We've seen guys win the title with that, I guess. But Zach yeah, Moss, eighty-two yards a game. Yeah, Zach Moss, six fifteen rushing, is the second leading rusher in the NFL right now. So here's yeah, the, I mean, the, the I, big I, discussion I, this off season was, do we pay the running backs? And it's and I hate to say this because you want to see guys get paid for being productive. McCaffrey's kind of a different deal because of the flexibility. Jonathan Taylor held his ground, came away with a nice deal. His backup right. is second in the league in rushing now. 
Right. Josh Jacobs held his ground, came away with a nice deal. He's setting all kinds of records for lack of productivity for a defending rushing champ. Not saying it's all him. We've seen that, you know, the Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott thing. Like, I don't know, Greg, I'm just this whole running back. Why is it devalued? I don't, I don't well, What would be the argument for saying it shouldn't be devalued right now? Well, and, and I think most people may be surprised that the back with the second most carries in the league, and he's only played eight games, so arguably he's got the most rushes per game. Is is Travis Etienne? Yeah. No, I don't. I do. I, I do think you need to run the ball and be consistent there, and all the things you hear all the time. Like I would. I wouldn't sit here and say the running game's not important, especially because we've talked about the best concepts in the passing game and helping. You know helping your your quarterback by throwing on early downs instead of making him get to third down and seven or eight and then hoping he can throw. You know, all that stuff correlates with the run game anyway. Your best pass concepts are based on forcing guys to defend the run predictably a lot of the time. So when we have the discussion about the pass, this goes in kind of with that discussion you and I a few weeks ago about value of linebacker, stack linebacker versus defensive end. Yeah. And we say it's a passing league now. It is, but the, the the run plays that have become pass plays, those passes are quick game for the most part. It's, you know, I'm not saying, and we could go, we could look this up. It'd be interesting to know, but we can, 30,000 feet, quick game is what's replacing the run game. Teams aren't lining up and throwing it 20 yards downfield a bunch more now because it's a passing league. So, well, and, the, and, and see, that's one reason, and this may be a conversation for another time, but I'm going to throw it out now. I think because I think motion is one way that offenses are, are trying to figure out how to attack these defenses because motion, in, in, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, dictates a reaction by the defense. Not 100% of the time, but it often does. So now I think what you're going to see is you're going to see smaller, quicker receivers who years ago would have been seen as, oh, he's 175 pounds, he's too small. I think those kinds of receivers are going to have more of a place in the league because of the use of motion and the free access off the ball. I mean, Jordan Addison is 173 pounds. He's he's a very good receiver right now, and he's yeah. going to be you know even better. Tank Dell for the Houston Texans is probably 160 or 165 pounds, and he's a you know, and he's a guy that obviously is starting to make a name for himself as a rookie. You know, and I think that motion is one way that offenses are going to try to see how defenses respond. And if we can create free access, get smaller, quicker, faster guys screaming off the ball and really put tremendous pressure on coverage, even if it's late rotation, you know, because sometimes late rotation can also be a problem depending on how you attack it with the pass game. And with your right. Well, if you're going to rotate your coverage, if you're changing the passing strength with motion, right. that complicates your rotations. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting Addison too. He's so good at, at those stack and rub releases and setting yeah. up. Who, who do you think is the best in the league? And I know you're going to say it's off the top of your head. You don't have the receivers in front of you. And that's fair. I get that. Who, who would you say though is the best in the league at those rubs and stack releases and setting that up right now as a receiver is Stefan Diggs. Is he in that conversation at top? Uh, maybe, I mean, you know, there's Cooper cup. Yeah. Cup's really good at that too. Really, really good at that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of the teams, you know, they, yeah. they do a lot of, um, you know, I think, I think CD lamb is good at that. Cowboys yeah. are starting to use more motion as well. 
Um, yeah, I think you're seeing it throughout the league because, you know, it, like I said, I think it's a way to get a to be proactive with your pass game and in ideally not 100 percent of the time, nothing's 100 percent, but ideally make defenses be a little more reactive, you know, yeah. because. Don't forget when defenses do all their disguise and late rotation and all that, they're doing that to be proactive to cause you problems. Now, how do you go about causing them problems? You can't just line up and play. You have to do other things. And motion is a significant part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Greg, I'll let you go. Let's let's head out of here. Touch early tonight, but uh, we could talk football all night long. You're oh, watching, yeah. If you're watching that Dolphins Chiefs. Tomorrow, uh, what? Why so late in the week? What, uh, what? Because they both have buys this week. Good answer. Yeah, that makes. So I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it because it's an important game. But you know, that wasn't a game I had to get through early for my show, my matchup show, and other things because you know they both have buys. Yep, makes perfect sense. Cool. Well, for Greg Cosell, I'm Andy Benoit. Thirty thirteen. This is behind the screen podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Thanks for listening. 